Becky, look at her butt. Hi, and welcome to the Stop Chasing Skinny radio program, where we bring to you different topics about living a fit life, because it's not just about working out and dieting. It's really about all of the other things that are involved in creating a fit life, and there are so many things. And it's kind of hard to kind of piece through some of the things that are just those flashy, shiny things that marketers like to show us and the things that are the real deal. So this is a part of our series. Um, February is National Eating Disorder Awareness Month. Um, Sometimes people don't really, some people may think that fitness professionals are very familiar with this area. Um, I've been working in the industry for close to a decade now, and I am still learning so much about this. So I have asked, um, I have asked experts to come on and share their expertise on all of these different topics. So you already listened to the one last week that was about disordered eating. And then this week I have invited, I've actually, I'm so happy that she could make it. Um, got great recommendations for her to come on. And this is Amy and she is the director of the only Um, inpatient care center for eating disorders in the state of South Carolina. So welcome, Amy. And could you just do a little more of an introduction of yourself? Well, thank you, Stephanie. And I'm so glad that, you know, you're doing this and that we can get this information out there because you're really, you're really right. A lot of people don't have a thorough understanding about eating disorders and how to recognize them or how to approach people or, or their families. Uh, I am, as you said, the director of the Hearth Center for Eating Disorders in Columbia, and we actually have um, four levels of care. So we do residential, partial, intensive outpatient, and outpatient. And really, you know, prior to the Hearth, um, you know, eating disorder treatment in South Carolina was pretty scarce. Um, I was asked uh, to come be a part of this team in developing this program, and I lived in Virginia. And when I was first asked, I, I kind of responded like, oh, that's the eating disorder wasteland uh-huh. in South Carolina. So we are here. We have been open a year and a half. Um, and, you know, we are one of the few nonprofits uh, in the country that treat eating disorders. And so we're very invested in, in what you're doing, education, awareness, prevention, and, and how we can help people uh, get a better understanding um, of eating disorders because they are morphing and changing and um, becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, I've been doing eating disorder work for nearly 20 years, uh, and what started that was my own uh, struggle with anorexia back when I was 18, and I actually had to go to inpatient care myself. And so that started me on the kind of on the pay it forward. I really want to help others because it, it really is a unique disease. And I think that people that have suffered and struggled really have a uh, kind of a different feel than than just the um, average clinician. Yeah, I, I you know just my own background with it. Um, yeah, unless you've and you know mine mine hasn't been quite as intense. But yeah, if you haven't been there yourself, it's really hard to 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 help out the clients that you're trying to help because you're right. It's it is very different. Um, it's and it's not it's it's not very clinical. Like it's, there's so many facets to that, that play into it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, unless you can really understand it, it's hard to wrap your brain around uh, the body image distortions, the, the obsessive piece, um, you know, and, and of course some of the cognitive problems that come with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, like you said, it is, um, I didn't, I haven't done the the research to see statistically, but what I have noticed is that social media, um, that I think plays a role in it. And we'll kind of get into that in a little bit in the show. I want to kind of get your your opinion on that. Um, so the first really big question I have for you is, who can be affected by an eating disorder? Well, I mean, you know, there really is no one that can't be. Um, I think that's more, it used to be back in, in the day, it, it was thought of as the, the rich white girls kind of issue. Um, I am seeing eating disorders in all types of people, populations, socioeconomic statuses, different ethnic backgrounds. So they're really, eating disorders are not discriminating in any way, shape, or form. So anybody can be impacted by an eating disorder. Um, you know, and it's it's so prevalent now that I think everybody asked, has known somebody, heard of somebody, 
uh, who has struggled with an eating disorder. Yeah, and I, I don't know, a lot of the listeners may not know this, but um, when I was 26, my best friend from high school actually passed away from complications from an eating disorder. So, um, you know, and, and I was there with her during those years of being in high school, and I know, like, how we were eating and what we were doing and all that crazy stuff, and, you know, I I changed paths, and she continued down that, and you know, in the end, it just, I mean, 26, that's really, really young. Um, and like you said, too, you know, it, it doesn't discriminate. So I have also known of men who have had eating disorders and very much in the way that you would, you know, like just um, the same as the same as women, right? You know, men are different. And I think that that population is highly underreported. Um, you know, right now, the statistics are showing that 10% of the people that are struggling with an eating disorder are male. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said, I do believe that that's um, underreported because men don't always talk about it like women do. They're not as open, more private, um, and it may look different. The eating disorder may look different. And so I think that it's just not as recognized in males, but it's growing. And I have consistently, since opening my unit in Columbia a year and a half ago, I always have at least one male on the unit since I've opened. So it is growing, um, and males are struggling with a lot of the same types of issues, and then they also have some difference with more uh, focus on muscle, um, weight building, um, you know, some more of that is present, and then, of course, some steroid abuse. Um, but we also see men that are struggling with um, more of a avoidant, uh, restrictive food intake, Um, It's a diagnosis called ARFID, Avoidant and Restrictive, Um, and that's kind of a newer diagnosis, and so we're seeing more men that kind of always struggled with picky eating, being underweight, Um, and then, you know, as they go through puberty and they're trying to develop, their body's not catching up, their brain's not catching up, and so then they, it it kind of engulfs into a full-blown eating disorder. Wow, that's that's really interesting. It's so, so... I have never heard of that um, that specific. I mean, I'm familiar with um, bulimia and anorexia, which I think mm-hmm. a lot of the listeners probably have heard of, and that's what they're familiar with. So let's go a little bit more into the different types of eating disorders, um, and then you know some some different things we may not know about those. Um, the eating disorders have gotten so much more um, complicated. The DSM. Which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, which is what you know professionals use to diagnose mm-hmm. um, all kinds of psychiatric illnesses. The DSM-4 basically identified the anorexia, bulimia, and then what is called eating disorder not otherwise specified, where if you kind of had some qualities of one or the other, but you don't quite fit the criteria, you would be put in that EDNOS category. Well, now the DSM-5 is out, and it has expanded, which is, you know, I can appreciate that greatly, because eating disorders, you can't just all fit in one exact box. Um, So we still have the anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa, which I see probably the most consistently. Uh, We also have binge eating disorder. Uh, which is also on the rise. And when you look at the obesity issues, you know, a lot of that can be connected to binge eating. Um, and so that's, those are all still growing and going. And then we have the other classifications where if people don't quite fit, but we know, we know they've got, they're doing something, there's some sort of eating disorder, then we have the ARFID, which is the Avoidant Restrictive Feeding and Eating Disorder, long title, and then we have the OSFED, O-S-F-E-D, which is otherwise specified feeding and eating disorder. So what would that look like? So OSFED might be someone that struggles maybe with more of an atypical anorexia. For example, like um, perhaps they, they're not underweight, but they've lost a large amount of weight in a short period of time. So they may meet some of the criteria, but not all of the criteria. And so they wouldn't be diagnosed with anorexia, but they would be diagnosed with OSFED. Okay. And then they're probably experiencing, just from my experience, so they're probably experiencing a lot of the um, uh, the challenges that go along with losing such a significant amount of weight. So they, they've lost muscle, they've lost strength, um, their mental clarity is probably not so much there, their hormones might be out of whack, things like that? 
Yes, okay. yes, absolutely. And, you know, we see this in patients, you know, that have had, um, you know, gastric bypass surgeries, you know, all kinds of different presentations, um, struggling with more of the the off-fed characteristics. I think, too, some of the older eating disorders still exist, such as pica okay. and rumination. You know, so there's so many different eating disorders that are that are affecting um, children, you know, adolescents and adults. So um, I, I'm familiar, somewhat familiar with pica is where you eat things that are not necessarily edible, right? Right. Okay. And then, exactly, like powders. Okay. Soaps. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of like rocks and paper, dirt. Okay. Um, and then what? Uh, what's the other one that you just mentioned? Rumination disorder, um, and rumination disorder is is a regurgitation disorder. So it's not going to be like bulimia with the self induced vomiting, but it's more of a where they where the individual struggles with just they regurgitate all their food. Okay. Not necessarily in an effort to purge the same way. It all comes down to, you know, what is the focus, what is the reason. Yeah. And with rumination, um, you know, the issues, you know, the body image distortions may not be there. The struggles may be different. And so in, in the rumination, there's, there's very few treatment facilities that will treat it mm-hmm. because it can be very disruptive and distracting, you know, if you have multiple different kinds of eating disorders on your unit. Okay. And that's, so uh, I think the really big thing here too is that I want to, that I put this whole series together for, it, this originally started because I, I see a lot of behaviors that are straight up what I would call disordered eating. And, um, it, it, but it's kind of what the fitness industry and the diet industry has deemed as not just normal, but it's what everybody looks up to and says, oh my gosh, that's amazing. So if you lose 20 pounds in a month, you're incredible. That's a problem, right? So, so there's, yeah. there's these mixed messages. Well, and I think that when you look at the disordered eating, you're always walking that fine line. And, you know, when I go and speak at schools, you know, maybe they don't acknowledge seeing a lot of anorexia, bulimia. But when I ask how how many times do you hear comments at lunch, you know, about don't eat that, eat this, never eat that, you can go in the bathroom and do this, everyone raises their hands. Yeah. I mean, it's it's commonplace. It is what is acceptable in our society. Cut out the carbs, um, no fats, no sugars. You know, this has all been very normalized where disordered eating is normalized. Yeah. And so that then, you know, is, is, is where we walk that fine line all the time of when does it become a diagnosed eating disorder. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, for me personally, I know uh, I was a vegetarian for 10 years and that was really so that I could just cut out straight up meat and um, food groups. Um, I totally binge ate, but I always just over-exercised. But everybody thought, oh, she's just the fitness girl. I see that a lot too. Um, And then more exercise increased my metabolism, made me hungrier, which kind of fed into that whole binge eating. So I had the binge eating stuff going on and my metabolism was like crazy. So my body needed it. Um, do you see that a lot where it can like, it's totally slippery slope and you go from that to full on eating disorder? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really, when I, when I talk or when I coach my clients and I talk about training, um, one of the big things I, you know, I, I try to, impress upon them is that more is not better. And I, I, you know, I was an engineer before I was fitness. Um, so systems, (laughs) I look at a lot of systems and I try to put together those to piece all of that together so that you can see like this action is causing this result and making this worse. So, um, so it's, it's all this, this cycle. Uh, and I think talking to somebody like you is, this is awesome to let us know where the cycle is, how to recognize it, uh, to, to recognize that, you know, the marketing experts are, are actually feeding us some pretty bad stuff. Yes. So we're gonna and that's, take, I'm, oh, I'm very invested in that, you know, and in awareness and really helping people understand, you know, the truth about healthy eating and, and you know, recognizing and understanding eating disorders. Yeah. Because that, I mean, knowledge is power. And when you understand, like, well, this isn't quite healthy, then you can make the change. So we're going to take just a really quick break, and then we're going to come right back. One more time.
the Stop Chasing Skinny radio program. Tonight we are talking about eating disorders. It is there are so many things to know about eating disorders. Um, it might be one of those things that you know I'm a fitness professional, but I don't know a ton about it. I mean, my best friend passed away when I was 26 from an eating disorder. I still don't know a ton about it. So I wanted to bring Amy on today so that she could help us identify what is normal, what is not normal, which marketing techniques may be even perpetuating this whole entire problem. Um, And it's been very educational so far. So um, let's go ahead and talk about what some of the potential triggers for an eating disorder are. Um, So in my experience, knowledge is power. And if we can see certain patterns starting and kind of connect the dots to the events, then we're better able to understand what's happening and ask for help sooner rather than later. And to be able to help the ones that we love who maybe cannot help themselves or don't realize that this is a problem. Okay. Um, well, what I'll do is, because what leads kind of into that with, with the triggers is understanding the why. Why, okay. why does this person have an eating disorder? How did it de- develop? What purpose does it serve? Because I think what people need to understand is that the person struggling with an eating disorder, the eating disorder is filling a very valid need. And so the need is important. We have to understand what it fills before we can even begin to think about how to replace it. Okay. So the eating disorder, and, and eating disorders don't just um, show up. Um, a person doesn't struggle with an eating disorder due to one thing, like, oh, this, this event happened. She got bullied in school, so therefore she developed an eating disorder. It develops for, for many different reasons that kind of set the person up. And so when I, when I think about why somebody has an eating disorder, I I look at, let's look at the family tree. We start there. Okay, so this person is born, and when we look at their family tree, is there any in their background, way back, we can go back grandparents and and great-grandparents, does anybody have a history of depression, anxiety, or addiction? And um, I don't care how many people you ask. I mean, we all have it back in our trees. Yeah, I was going to say, I have all it. of it. <laughs> yeah, everybody's got it. Yep. I mean, it's somewhere. We had Aunt, who, Aunt Velda, who was bipolar. And then we've got, you know, Aunt Susie, you know. And so we look at that being the predisposition. So this person's born, and they have the predisposition for, say, for example, an anxiety disorder. So then from that, the experiences... And, you know, those could be environmental, that can be due to parenting, things that happen at school, that could be trauma, it could be all kinds of different things. You could throw the media in there, all of the different things that kind of accumulate as this person is growing and developing is what lends the opportunity for an eating disorder to present itself because the eating disorder is a way to cope. It's a way to process emotions. It's a way to gain a sense of control. And so they've, they've got these other issues going on, the depression, the anxiety, trauma, all kinds of different things that go along with eating disorders. That all kind of works together. It's like the perfect storm. And so to understand triggers, we have to understand the individual. Um, because there's lots of things that can trigger an eating disorder. Trauma can trigger an eating disorder. Um, parents with high expectations that push hard can trigger an eating disorder. Um, bullying triggers eating disorders. Um, but really there has to be the perfect storm, a combination of things uh, that, that present itself for that person to, you know, really buy into the eating disorder plan. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense, yeah. So I kind of think of it like a snowball on the top of a hill. As a snowball rolls down the hill, it gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. That's kind of how I think of it. So they're at the top of the hill. They're a nitty-bitty snowball, and as they roll down through life, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And that's how I explain it to a lot of parents. Um, you know, a lot of things around the family system, it's not the family's fault. There's no one thing or one person to blame. It's just a combination of different things. And I've had parents that, aren't, that don't have high expectations, but the child does. And, you know, so their anxiety and perfectionism can be one of the triggers that fuels the eating disorder. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, um, yeah, so I guess you just really have to really pay attention, pay attention to yourself. I know for me, I mean, I love to eat tons of food because I had so much anxiety and like it would 
I would feel full and then I'd feel calm. And um, I also once heard, um, I can't remember where it was, but maybe it was Tony Robbins. Anyway, he was talking about how our diaphragm, how our stomach is, is placed and how our diaphragm is. And he said that sometimes when you overeat, it makes you, forces you to take a deep breath. And so we actually feel like a very calming feeling from taking those deep breaths too. Um, is are, are there things that are associated with that too? I mean, there's some brain chemistry that changes by binge eating. There's, what about some of that stuff? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think there's lots of different chemical changes. And, um, you know, the eating disorder, whichever one someone's engaging in, um, you know, there's responses and there's there's aspects to it that pro- that provide tremendous relief. Um, you know, and yours, the one you named is a, is a good example of that. Yeah. And then I, I guess I, the big thing here that I want the listeners to take away is that you're, it's not just your willpower is broken. I hear that all the time. I, I just, and then there's extra judgment, right? I suck. My willpower doesn't work. I couldn't stop eating that stuff. There are other things going on. It's not just willpower, right? Well, there's, there's definitely other things going on. Okay. I mean, there's, you know, when I look at um, most people that struggle with eating disorders, and any, any, any one of the eating disorders, I'm looking at their ability to recognize and let and, and identify what their own emotions are. Uh, they may struggle with, you know, feelings of anger or guilt or shame, and they're not able to, to identify it, let alone share it or express it. And the eating disorder becomes a way to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes... You know, to deal with that emotion. And sometimes, too, if we're... If we're suffering so much emotionally um, sometimes we do things to ourselves physically to cause pain to take the the focus off the emotional pain and because it's easier to deal with the physical pain right yeah I mean that that can morph into all kinds of different conversations and I think it's important to note that there's a high you know relationship there's a high correlation between you know eating disorders and self-injury and suicidality and so, again, talking about, you know, different ways of dealing with suppressing, numbing the pain, um, you know, there, there's there's a lot of dabbling into other issues as well. Yeah. And that's, like you said in the very beginning, that's what makes this whole issue so complex. Yes. Yeah. So um, I want to take just another quick ro- uh, quick break, and then we're going to come back, and I want to talk about um, some of the things that we may not know about eating disorders. So, you know, we've, we've heard a lot of things, we've seen a lot of things, but um, there are a lot of things that we, we still don't know. So we'll be right back. disorders, um, how to recognize it, what to do, um, how to seek help. Uh, the next thing that I want to talk about, I think that, um, you know, sometimes people don't realize the negative outcome of having such an eating disorder until they're already in the midst of it. And then they go, oh my gosh, this is, you know, it's not just about being skinny. There are so many other things that go into that. So I want to kind of talk about um, the damage that's being sustained to our bodies. Um, I don't, you know, however you want to break it up, like if you want to talk about bulimia or, um, or anything like that, um, however you want to do it. Well, when I, when I take, when I look at, and and when I speak about eating disorders, I, I of course, cover the medical complications. And, you know, I think the, the, the one very simple takeaway that, that I always want to make clear is there isn't a system in your body that it doesn't impact. I mean, everything gets impacted. And so depending on the different eating disorders, different systems are going to be, going to be hit and struck. Um, you know, the most common with, with anorexia is going to be, you know, you've got the osteopenia and osteoporosis because you've got the bone density loss. Um, that's very common, and, and that's usually, that usually happens pretty early on with the osteopenia, which is kind of like your warning sign. Um, the electrolyte imbalances is another one um, that we get very concerned about. 
um, because the electrolyte imbalances then lead to the cardiovascular issues, which um, can be significant with both bulimia and anorexia. So that means like, um, like when, when I say my best friend passed away from complications, she just, mm-hmm. she, she just, her nine-year-old daughter watched her fall over and she was just done. So like that's, we're talking about like, not just like, oh, I just passed out. Like your heart could stop beating, right? With electrolyte imbalances. Yeah. Yes, and I think that's probably what is what people don't understand is that it's very, very difficult to know um, when somebody's you know going to have you know going to have a heart attack or going to fall over. You know, you, you it's not as cut and dry as if you get to this weight, that's going to happen. Um, you really have to do the labs, and you have to do you really have to have your your physicians involved. And I've in working on these units. I've had a patient, say, for example, she's 30 years old. She's had her eating disorder for 15 years. She's significantly underweight and has been, you know, and she's absolutely fine. And then I could have a college student who's been bulimic for three months come in and her labs are more compromised. There's just no way to know every body is different. And so I get, and I get more nervous about bulimics oftentimes because the self-induced vomiting causes such chaos in the body when that's happening. And it really causes the impact on the electrolytes and the potassium up and down. You know, so you've got so much going on so quickly. And there's just no way to know, you know, unless you're really monitoring those those labs and vitals, you know, exactly how, um, you know, in crisis your, you know, one's body can be. Yeah. Well, and then so back to so the bulimia too. Um, it can cause like the uh, the erosion of the enamel in the teeth. Um, it could lead to esophageal cancer, right? Because you're mm-hmm. constantly putting. And for anybody that knows anything about esophageal cancer, like you're, it's really, really, really bad. Um, and then also, so if you're taking laxatives, can it cause the inability to go to the bathroom without the aid of laxatives eventually? Absolutely. I mean, I think that part of the treatment when when um, we have them in treatment is they really have to be on a stool softener and have to have, it's almost like they've got to have, um, there's a laxative protocol, if you will, yeah. to try to get things moving in a more normal way. That's a, that's a big challenge that we deal with with both anorexia and bulimia because there's so much that's happened in their digestive and their bowels. Their, you know, there's so many issues that you've got to... Um, work very hard and, and it's a slow and long, you know, long process yeah. uh, to normalize things. And again, it, it really, you know, the, the recovery rate is, is in direct correlation with how long this person has struggled and how quickly, you know, intervention happens. Okay. Yeah. So the sooner you can get in, the, the better. And I see too with, um, I have people who come to me and, and I break it down into four different kinds of, or I guess it's four, yeah, four different kinds of people that come to me. So I have the first person who has never really exercised and they weren't eating well at all. And they see the biggest results because now they've been exercising and now they've probably, you know, cleaned up their diet and probably restricted a little bit more than, than like what they were having. So maybe they're, they were over consuming calories, but they see results really quickly because their metabolisms are impact are intact and their bodies are like, oh, okay. So you give me, you know, good food and exercise, I'll give you, you know, I'll release this extra weight that I'm holding on to. Um, I have another uh, two more where, you know, somebody has been exercising but not eating well. They'll see some great results because good nutrition is about 80%. Then you have somebody who's been eating well, who's never exercised. They'll see some good results. But then I have this fourth category that comes to me and they are over dieted. So they've been restricting whether it's macronutrients or calories and they are over exercised. So they've been training like crazy and their bodies are just in crisis and they don't want to, they don't want to lose weight. So one of the things I ask them um, in the beginning is, um, you know, what does your past look like? And have you ever suffered from an eating disorder? Because that's going to impact you later on in life, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, and what what's happening right there with your metabolism? Well, the metabolism, you know, as you were just, as you were saying, the body doesn't know whether it's going to starve or eat. And the metabolisms tend to, you know, because we have to use such high amounts of calories 
to get the weight up when we have patients in here with anorexia. And, you know, sometimes they require, you know, whether it's 3,000 or 4,000 calories because their, their metabolism in their body has shut down to the point where it's holding on. And so we have to increase and increase and increase, which is very difficult because they haven't been eating anything and their stomach is shrunk. And so it, it's a big challenge with the ones that need to restore weight. Um, so we're constantly having to adjust, you know, and we have, you know, registered dietitians on our team and they have to constantly be looking at the calorie level and increasing and then decreasing and, and playing the game of trying to help the body get to where it's going to be able to operate normally, which takes a long time yeah. before it really regulates itself. Yeah. And then hormone levels too, right? Hormone levels yeah. are probably all over the hormones. place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think when in working with the children and adolescents, because we, we see children here as young as eight years old. Oh, wow. And, you know, all growth and development and puberty, all of that stuff stops. And that's, that's you know, people think, oh, gosh, I, I won't have to have my period. It's more than just that. It's oh. your brain. It's, um, you know, it's, it's all the different things in your body, all the systems that are trying to develop and grow. All of that gets stunted. And so you have to, it takes time to recoup. I mean, typically, you know, when I have a 18-year-old in treatment, she started her eating disorder when she was nine. Mm-hmm. When I've got her near restoration and working, I'm dealing with like a 10 or 11-year-old. That is so really difficult. interesting. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So on the emotional scale, they're like a 10 or 11-year-old. Right. And, brain and developmentally, I mean, they've got, you know, I mean, I've had, I've had patients that, you know, are in their 20s and they've never had a menstrual cycle. Wow. You know, and so, you know, it's... It yeah. can be extremely debilitating, and you know that's where you get into fertility issues and so on. Yeah, and I'm I'm learning myself because I just had a um an adre- or a, a hormone panel done for saliva testing recently, and because I just I really haven't been feeling I haven't had good energy, um, and it showed that my cortisol is super 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 low. So I think like during all of this, I'm learning more about how hormones work together. I have always known they do work together. I didn't quite understand how and. Um, yeah, like you're right. Like people think, oh, I'm just not going to have my period. But that also means that you're going to have problems like staying awake and being happy. And, you know, you're going to kind of live in that depressed state a lot, right? Right. And it's, you know, in the eating disorder, the mental component is so obsessive and so time consuming. I mean, the person doesn't have any break from the thoughts and the comparing and the, the mental aerobics that go on with the eating disorder brain. Um, and that's part of the difficulty in restoration is because you've got to slow down those tapes. You've got to slow down those thoughts. And that's where higher levels of care are often necessary um, because you've got to be, you know, in a very regimented treatment program dealing with how to deal with the thoughts that are coming constantly. Yeah. Yeah, and I would think the deeper into the into the eating disorder, I mean, those those thoughts become super ingrained in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, let's um, actually, I have another question too. So, if somebody is suffering from an eating disorder, can they still be overweight, and why is this? Because I think sometimes we think people who have an eating disorder are just skinny. Right, and that's that's something that. I really focus on in schools because, you know, everybody, you know, it can be, they can be average weight, they can be overweight, they can be underweight because eating disorders vary. They're morphing, they're changing as I, as I described earlier. And most bulimics are normal weight. Some are even a little overweight. You know, the only eating disorder that will have somebody be underweight or skinny is going to be anorexia. But then we have atypical anorexia, as I described earlier, where the person may still be overweight, but they lost a large amount. Okay. And so you really can't judge, you know, whether somebody has an eating disorder based upon weight. Yeah. I mean, of course, that's the most obvious sign of anorexia. But that's about it. I mean, you know, the weight is not, is not indicative of what they're struggling with. Yeah, yeah. But I think, I think a lot of people do think you just, you know, if you have an eating disorder, then you are, you are skinny. But I have known, um, yeah, I've known some people who, yeah, all across. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And, you know, and that's what kids always tell me. When I go to schools, they all say, well, 
when I ask them to tell me how what are eating disorders? How do you know? And welcome back to the Stop Chasing Skinny radio program. Um, I'm learning so much about this. Um, you know, like you said, it's changed over the years too. And I know when we first talked, we um, we talked on the phone, and you gave me a statistic that really surprised me. And so I wanted to ask if you could share that statistic with the listeners. Factors when you're looking at is this disordered eating? Is this an eating disorder? You know, there's just different criteria now, and you have to really break it down. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. Uh, So I want to take a quick break, and then we're going to come right back. Welcome back to the Stop Chasing Skinny radio program. Um, I'm learning so much about this. Um, you know, like you said, it's changed over the years too. And I know when we first talked, we um, we talked on the phone, and you gave me a statistic that really surprised me. And so I wanted to ask if you could share that statistic with the listeners. Um, I think one of the most um, concerning or alarming statistics that's um, been has come out is that there are more deaths um, related to, you know, eating disorders, whether that's out of a medical complication or suicide, than any other psychiatric illness. And those numbers are climbing. And so when you, typically when we think about, you know, psychiatric deaths, we're we're always talking about the depression-related suicide. Um, Eating disorders is topping that. Um, whether it's the medical complications or, you know, the suicide, because patients do commit suicide out of a struggle because they can't recover and the obsessive thoughts are too overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think that, that that's something that continues, you know, to, to grow and develop. Another statistic that's recently come out is that more, there are more people diagnosed with an eating disorder than breast cancer. Wow. Um, so things are, you know, things are growing. Um, we're seeing more and more younger children with eating disorders. Yeah. Uh, I think they're saying 40% of third graders have been on a diet. Um, so the numbers are just growing alarmingly on um, children and adolescents, one in four college women. Um, when we look at South Carolina, we're looking at 4,000 people are suffering right now with an eating disorder. And that's what's been identified. I mean, I, I didn't get any help when I was doing my stuff, you know, so I don't count in the statistics. So how many people were like me that were functioning fine and not, right. you know, not being counted? Right. Wow. And I think that there is more awareness now, um, and, and that's good, but there definitely needs to be even more awareness. I mean, it just needs to, we need to keep getting out there and talking about it because it's not, it's not going away. I would love for, you know, my hospital to close because there's yeah. no need for it anymore yeah. but it's just not happening yeah well and something else so I want to kind of talk a little bit about um the social media stuff and um so I have an online fitness business and my background was in competitive fitness I don't do that anymore um I think that's its own issue in itself uh, it taught me a lot of good things like I took a lot of great things out of it um but one thing that I do is I spend a lot of time posting stuff on social media and I'm always trying to be very conscientious of what I post because I don't, you know, everybody can be triggered by other stuff, but I try to show a healthy body. I maintain a healthy body fat. You know, I share my weight. I'm 5'9", like 158 pounds, which is, you know, not that 5'9", 115 kind of whatever model thing that you see sometimes. Um, you know, so I try to put that stuff out there and one of the places that, um, I don't know, I was looking on Tumblr one night. I have Tumblr and I hashtag things, right? And so a lot of people started following me and I was wondering who they were. And so we start clicking on it and it was so disturbing. I spent about 20 minutes looking into it just to just to just see. I didn't, I was so surprised this was happening. But um, it was a lot of these young girls who were all, they had eating disorders 
and they were um, they were cutting themselves as well. And they had these their own like online communities that they they had their profiles. They were sharing like all their quote unquote tips and tricks. Um, you know, it showed pictures of them with their family and it would say something like, yeah, they think that I'm, I'm so normal, but this is the life I really live. That was, that was, it it was just, it was so disturbing to me. But then I thought, wow, if I were a parent of a 13 year old, like I would want to know that there are things like this out there. Have you, have you heard of that stuff? Like what is, what is your take on the social media and, and all that? Well, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more on how disturbing it is, and, and I see it constantly, the pro-Anna, you know, websites, blogs, uh, groups, you know, there, there's, um, it's, it's all out there, very dark. Um, there's, you know, there's groups out there that, you know, want to support each other, help each other restrict, let's be accountable, mm. um, you know, all of that. And there's, you know, there's other issues that, that come with eating disorders, and so sometimes, these individuals are also just lonely. Yeah. You know, they're wanting to find connection. And, you know, they're finding that through their eating disorder and through, you know, social media. You know, you, that is a huge proponent. And, and again, it's not, it's not the cause. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say that, you know, social media causes eating disorders, but it certainly is a contributing factor. Yeah. Um, and it certainly gives the eating disorder a voice and a place to resonate. And so I think that it, it doesn't, and I don't see how it's going to be rectified. I mean, every time I, I, try to, I try to jump in on all these sites and get them shut down and move here and do that, and, you know, I, I would be driving myself nuts if that's all I did because it's, it's so, there, there's no end to the possibilities. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's utterly frightening. And I, and I hear it, you know, with all of our patients. They all have been there, seen it, been a part of it. Um, you know, with the pictures and the the blogs and the, you know, all the feedback and accountability for we can help with your, with your weight issue, you know, and so lots of identification, you know, there's a lot, a lot of that out there with the social media. Yeah. I, it was just, it was so shocking to me. And like I said, I mean, if I were a parent of a, you know, I don't know, boy or girl, um, you know, that's just, I would just want to know that at least that stuff is out there and, you know, parents listening, check these things because, I mean, it was so disturbing to see these girls posting these beautiful pictures of them with their beautiful families and, you know, doing fun things. And then they were like, this is what they think I'm doing. This is so, yeah, just, I guess right. just have more awareness right. and, and where people can find more information for you guys. Education on that. Oh, good. You know, the YouTube videos and all the different things that are um, everywhere. We do a lot of education with families. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, because that's, I mean, that's all, that's kind of all you, you can do, right, is is to, to help to educate. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think something, too, that's, I think people, um, I think we miss it, um, as especially as mothers, and again, I mean, I have a yellow lab and poor guy, he has a binge eating disorder. <laughs> he would just eat it all. But no, um, but no if, if, you know, parents, how, especially mothers, um, I was listening to something and, and they were saying, like, I hear kids say, they, they mimic what their mothers say. So if mothers really obsess over the scale, over the food, the good food, the bad food, the calories, kids have no choice but to pick that up. And it doesn't matter how much the parent tells the child how beautiful they are, how wonderful they are, they subliminally, they take in how the mother is feeling about her body. Is that, do you see that? Oh, I see that consistently. I mean, I think that, and dads too. I mean, we, you know, parents and how we parent, like I said, I'm not going to say it's the the parent's fault. It's not mom's fault she developed it, but that, that, that is a key part. And that has to be addressed in treatment. Yeah. We address that in treatment. What are the things that have led to your eating disorder? Because if, if, we, if we all understand that it's like that little snowball with all these different contributing factors, mom's going to be in there too, yeah. you know? And mom, you know, hating on her body all the time, you know, and maybe she doesn't think that's impacting daughter. But daughter hears that, and daughter... You know, mom thinks that daughter's not really listening, and what daughter is saying to herself is, well, she hates her body so much, what does she think of mine? Yeah. You know, I'm worse. I, I need to hate myself. 
you know, we see a lot of, of the nutrition uh, myths and, you know, the takes from families, only eat this, that's a bad food, we don't have any junk food in our house at all. <laughs> you know, all of those different things are things that we have to take apart in treatment and yeah. deal with. Uh, the family component is significant. And moms do, we, as parents, we do need to watch what we say. Yeah. We need to understand that, you know, they're listening when we don't realize they are. Yeah. And so, you know, we've got to be role models for, you know, positive body acceptance. You oh, know, stop the fat phrase. talk. We don't yeah. do fat talk. Yeah. Oh, that's... You know, that's a significant, that would help a, a tremendous amount of parents, you know, had to go through a whole parenting thing, you know, when they're, when they're having a kid yeah. to, to be able to talk about that. And, you know, and, and I'm a parent and, and, you know, I have a daughter and, you know, I've been very, I've tried to be very cognizant of my messages to her and, and how I want her to view herself and deal with her emotions and what she experiences and hears and sees. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Oh, man. If you guys come up with that class, will you let me know so <laughs> we can spread that? And because, I mean, I'd like to take it <laughs> because, yeah. you know, I, and, and, you know, I see a lot of other fitness professionals who, um, it's it's a challenge for us because we have people who are coming to us to get healthier, but they come to us in a bunch of different ways. And so I think for us to be best educated is is great. Like, um, you know, I personally, my philosophy is to stay away from the scale. I know how much I weigh because when people ask me to, you know, like I want to show them that I'm not skinny. Like, um, you know, I... I I weigh a healthy weight. Um, and three, when I travel, I have to get on the scale to make sure my bag is at more than 50 pounds. But, um, <laughs> but you know, like it's, um, and I've shared a couple pictures where I've gained about, I guess, 23 pounds over the past like four or five years, but I look the same and I pretty much wear the same clothes. So that shows that, you know, muscle just takes up less space and, and just kind of get off the scale. But, um, you know, as, as a, as a fitness professional and trying to motivate my clients, um, that motivation is a, is a fine line. It's kind of fuzzy and it kind of depends on what your idea of motivation, what motivates you. You know, if, um, do you, do you work with fitness professionals? I mean, do you guys have, yeah, if you had a course like that, that'd be awesome. Do you have that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we don't have a course like that. I mean, our registered dietitians that we have here are also in the fitness world. So we, we, we have excellent staff. And I think that there are a lot of dietitians that, um, you know, definitely come from a sports and fitness background. Mm-hmm. And that could be a good thing, like you've talked about, or it could be a, you know, kind of a not-so-good thing, yeah. um, as with anything. And I think that, um, you know, really, really working on uh, the truths and not the myths and healthy nutrition and all foods fit and exercise balance and moderation was everything. I mean, I think that we see a lot of athletes. I mean, athletes, um, you know, a great, there's a great number of, of athletes that struggle with disordered eating, bordering on, and sometimes diagnosed with an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. But it can happen with any population. Yeah. Um, I think that what's really important is, is you were talking about, you know, the moms and families and what to say. I think it's really important to understand that we have to validate what that person's going through. Um, we so often focus on, you know, when, when, when our child comes home and says, oh, I feel fat, I'm fat, I'm ugly, you know, really just what happened today? Stay away from the don't, you, you're not, you're perfect. Don't say that. You know, really validate what they're going through and find out what happened or what, what are their thoughts, what are their feelings, because it really is underneath. The food is just the tool, you know? Yeah. And you've got to understand what happened, what, what is the process. Um, and that's what I try to encourage people to do yeah. is to peel away the layers. Do you, um, have some, layers. do you have books that you recommend um, people read? Like I read Women, Food, and God, and I recommend that to a lot of people. Um, the other book is Daring Greatly because so much of this comes from not feeling like you're good enough. Yeah, there's Life Without Ed is a really good and popular book. Okay. Um, you know, there, there's so many. There's a catalog that you can go online called GURZ, G-U-R-Z-E. Okay. And they have tremendous resources um, that I encourage people. You can order 
just about any kind of eating disorder book there. And it has a, it has the top picks, and it, and it also breaks it down if you're looking for something more from a spiritual, you know, perspective or a clinical perspective. I mean, you know, it's it's very it's the go-to place. Uh, so that would be GERS, G-U-R-Z-E, and also bulimia.com has okay. some great resources. Okay, great. I'll put all that in the show notes too for listeners that are trying to drive or walk their dog or something. There's so many out there that you just, you have to know the individual because some books could be more triggering. You know, it really depends on the person and where they're at. Yeah, I could, I could see that. Um, You know, for me, like I said, I, I did not seek professional treatment. I have read a bazillion books um, and trying to figure out like, you know, what, what, what I've been doing in my life. So Mm -hmm. um, those are just some that helped me. Um, and so then let's take one more quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about the treatment options and then where people can find more information for you guys. I'm just trying to be more than this set of words. Always felt I could, but never took the initiative to make it live. Working these dead end jobs week to week till I'm weak and they don't need me to be first hand. I done seen niggas work forever and still don't end up with enough for their family to live better. This sad, but that's America, land of the free and home of the brave. But what I see. Where tonight we are talking about eating disorders. Uh, this has been a very interesting uh, conversation, very important. There are so many things that I think we do that's not only acceptable in our normal society, uh, it's almost expected. So, um, you know, just kind of understanding when certain things are not necessarily healthy. They may be normal, but they're not healthy. Um, and recognizing those things and, and removing some of those things from our lives, I think is really important. So um, let's talk a little bit about what the treatment options are. You mentioned it in the beginning of the show, um, just a little more like, and what would somebody do if they're listening to this and they're like, okay, well, I've tried a lot of stuff and I can't do it. What would they do? I think that when you look at treatment, um, the first step is if you know someone who's who's struggling and you're you're concerned. I think the first step is a medical physician, okay? Because we okay. want to know what's going on inside the body, okay? We have we have ideas about what's happening on the outside, but do we know what's going on on the inside? So the first step is usually seeing a medical professional, okay. and then from there you go directly into counseling. Okay. Um, and you, you know, I, I always recommend finding somebody that specializes and treats eating disorders. A lot of clinicians don't want to touch it. You know, eating yep. disorders are scary. They're complex. Yep. And so you really have to, um, look to find somebody that actually treats eating disorders. And then they're going to help recommend whether you need a dietitian. Uh, they'll assess as to whether you need a higher level of care. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get if you get the eating disorder or disordered eating, preferably early, then outpatient therapy and uh, you know that could that could work. Yeah. Um, but usually, when the eating disorder has really taken root and they're really beyond that that point, then higher levels of care are necessary, like residential, partial hospitalization, or intensive outpatient, and then sometimes acute. You know, acute is where they're not medically stable, and that's yeah. also considered inpatient. So, again, and there's a site called edreferral.com that has all uh, treatment across the whole country. Okay. So you put in your state, and it will pull up all the eating disorder professionals okay. You know, in your county, in your city, um, and that's a great resource to have. Um, but you really have to understand that early intervention is key. So if you know someone, and again, how many people, you know, participate in disordered eating, the number is huge. Yeah. So if you see signs of disordered eating along with increased isolation, increased depression, then you want to look at intervention even at that point because that could prevent the disordered eating from then, you know, falling off that line right into the eating disorders, which that's the best prognosis. Yeah. You know, otherwise, you know, you're looking at the higher levels of care. Mm, yeah. Well, at least there are some options. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I can't. Whenever you said you guys have only been open for a year and a half, that kind of, that kind of shocked me. I um, didn't realize that it was really that um, that yeah. recent. Um, 
And something else, too. Now, if you're a fitness professional and you're listening to this, obviously you care enough. If you're a fitness professional and you are listening to this and you know of other fitness professionals, I highly recommend sharing this with them because we are kind of the front, the first line of defense sometimes because people come to us and they, you know, they want exercise programs, they want diet programs, and they are, you can, you can pretty quickly see if there are some things going on. And so instead of just being like, oh my gosh, this client's driving me nuts. She texts me all the time about how much she hates her body. We'll take the time to let her know that this isn't normal and that she should get help. You know, so I I see that a lot too, where, um, you know, some trainers will just chit chat and be like, you know, this client annoys me. Well, no, this client needs your help. And one more thing when you're in, in working with fitness professionals, yeah. excessive exercise is a form of purging. It is a purging behavior. Totally did it. And it yep. is so consistent with anorexia and bulimia. And so that's, that's one of the signs that we look for is the excessive exercise. Yeah. And then also that obsessive. When you talk about annoying clients, I think about someone who's obsessing. Yeah. And that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that because you're, you're absolutely right. If somebody, and you think about it too, if somebody is telling you something, whether it's in person, in text or whatever, that external them telling you is probably just a tiny tip of the iceberg of the record that's playing in their head. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. And, and, you know, some people really don't know, like for me, when I was going through all my stuff, um, I was running way, way, way too much. And then I ended up having muscular skeletal issues and things like that. But um, instead of getting the help that I needed, I hired a fitness coach so I could compete. So, um, you know, it took me all the way to my knees because I had adrenal failure. Um, it, it, It was not good, but I built myself back up from there. And so had I, you know, I was trying to fix myself. Um, I think if I would have found somebody who understood what I was going through um, and called me out on it too, because, you know, I was, I was perfectly happy with like, just like pretending like everything was okay. Um, you know, it would have, it would have caused a lot or it would have saved a lot of pain and suffering. And who knows? I mean, you never know if you go into something like that, if you're actually going to come out on the other side stronger from it or if it's going to really just be the end of you yeah so well thank you so much amy this is something like i said it's very important to me um i i see it a lot um and there's no judgment like i just you know i i did have to tell a client hey you're you're sending me a lot of texts about you know like you're up and down and you're sending me a lot of texts that are not they're not like you know it's not good and so I think maybe you should see someone. And it took her a couple of days to get back to me. And she was like, thank you so much. I needed somebody to tell me that. So, you know, it's, you never know who just needs to hear it. And there's nothing wrong with getting help. I mean, that's, that's how you get, I mean, you hired a fitness coach. So you, why wouldn't you hire a therapist to help you get past that? Exactly. So, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We're going to put all of your, um, your, the information that you shared, we're going to put all of that in the show notes so the listeners can access that. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share with us? No, I, I appreciate the opportunity. And because as I said, you know, we are very invested in prevention and awareness and education. So we're always happy to talk to schools, talk to churches, talk to groups. Um, you know, we're very, that, that's what we're all about. We're a nonprofit. So that's great and you're right in our backyard so yep well thank you and i will talk to you all listeners next week you've heard me talk a lot about learning how to reach your fitness goals and more frequently how to look as fit as you feel while learning to stop chasing skinny And you've also thought to yourselves, yeah, I do want to reach my fitness goals in a shorter, more concise way. To stop wasting my time bouncing back and forth from fitness tip to fitness tip in magazines, wasting hours researching the latest and greatest diet, only to end up looking and feeling the same way you've been looking and feeling for years. And my guess is that you've been thinking about this for a long time. Am I right? I know the feeling because I played these games too. For a very long time, in fact. 
I'm here to tell you this. Stop thinking and sign up for the SK Fit Life Challenge, an online training, nutrition, and coaching program that will lead you through 12 weeks of step-by-step guidance to help you finally reach your goals of looking fabulous and feeling fabulous. You're going to get to free up all the headspace you've been wasting, picking through random diet information, being fed to you through the media, and simplifying the seemingly complicated world of health. Your chances now. Do you really need more time, more information, more plans for the future? Or do you want to become that fit person today? Because the truth is this. You can be that fit person. Or you can be the person that sits around thinking about becoming better. It's your choice. Read more magazines, blog posts, and bits and pieces on social media. Or take action. Because let's face it, if you're not where you want to be, your current program is not working out for you. I want you to be successful. And why is this? Because you've already got what it takes. You've been doing the work all along. It's just been the wrong work. You have the desire, the discipline, and the potential. Now let's get you on the right track so those efforts you are already putting in can take you in the best direction possible. Join me and the hundreds of other SK Fit Life clients for the 12-week online fitness challenge at skfitlife.com. All right, now let's get back to the show.